chapter 5, verses 33 through 39 will be our text today. Luke chapter 5, verses 33 through 39. And I want you to know, for some of you that have been concerned and some of you who have texted me this week, I have asked my daughter if she would maybe change her prayers just a little bit. Maybe she would focus them a little bit in a narrow way. What do I mean? Well, some of you were here last week and you heard me say that my daughter in particular was praying that we would have an ice day or snow day so that she could finish her paper for school because she had not finished. I did not know that her prayers would be so heard (laughs) and so effective. So I received text this week that said, please, would you ask Abigail to to pray for son? Son, we need son. And I was about the same way, about the third or fourth day with the family. While I love my family dearly, the third or fourth day, I was yearning for this office and for the work to be done. I'm sure some of you are too, huh? You were stir crazy this week, but thankfully you're here. God showed us safety. He showed us grace. He gave us a little time perhaps to catch up with the family and rest. But now he has allowed us to get back to his business. I'm thankful that we've been able to come this morning. I want us to look at Luke chapter 5, verses 33 through 39. I want to talk to you about a new day that had dawned. A new day that had dawned in the kingdom and in the ministry and in the work of God. And this new day had come in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, some could not see that new day. They could not understand that God was doing something fresh and, and new among them. And they still questioned I want you to see, beginning in verse 33, that the Pharisees and the scribes who were so caught up in their religiosity had somehow failed to see the revelation of God, Jesus Christ, right before them. Then they said to him, that that being the Pharisees, I believe, here in this case, said, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? And likewise, those of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. Now remember, Dr. Luke just told us that Jesus had called Levi, Matthew. He had called him to follow him and to be a disciple. And then Jesus had gone to the house of Levi and had enjoyed a great celebration. Remember, Levi was so excited about Jesus and so excited about following him that he threw a party for everybody he knew. And everybody he knew was basically a tax collector or a sinner in the eyes of those in that day and here Jesus had gone and he had enjoyed this food and this drink with them and he had celebrated with them and they had already said what in the world are you doing Jesus why are you being such a friend to sinners and now they follow up with this question and they say you know when we take note of John the Baptist and his disciples when we take note of the Pharisees and those who follow the Pharisaic way Every one of those individuals will fast and they will beg, they will call out, they will pray. But not your disciples. Your disciples, it seems like they're just going around and they're eating and they're drinking and they're having just a wonderful time. And then Jesus answers them. And he reminds them that a new day has dawned. And a new day has come. For them to rejoice and to celebrate. Verse 34, he said to them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, when they will fast in those 
days. Jesus gives them this analogy. He says, I want you to think about this. If you're at a wedding and you're one of the friends of the bridegroom, if you were some of the closest associates of the individual that's getting married and you're at the wedding, then you know that you're not going to be fasting and fasting was... Fasting was so associated with mourning in the Old Testament and calling out and begging. He says, you won't be doing that at a wedding. What would you be doing at a wedding? You'd be celebrating. You'd be rejoicing. Any of you who've been to weddings, and you know most of the time those weddings are moments of celebration. I say most of those times, right? Probably some of you were at some of those of your family or others and said, well... But most of the time, they're moments to celebrate. And, it, and you don't stop in, in the middle of a service and say, hey, let's have a moment of fasting here or a moment of mourning. Let's not do that during this service. We, we wouldn't do that, would we? Now, again, most of us, some of you are looking like, well, there have been some weddings I've been to I wanted to mourn. <laughs> most of the time, that's not it. You want to celebrate. You go to the reception. Oh, the reception. Perhaps the best thing of the wedding, right? To go to the reception, and you know what they have there? These ginormous cakes. I don't know if ginormous is a word, but I like to think of it in terms of cakes. Ginormous cakes. And they have all this other stuff, and you kind of go around, and you get to visit people, and you get to eat, and you get to... It... it, it's a great time. You go to the wedding and you're in, you endure the pastor's message just so you could get to the reception, right? It's a time of rejoicing. And look what Jesus says. Jesus says that when you go to a wedding and you're a friend of the bridegroom and the bridegroom is there, it is a moment to rejoice. He teaches us something here. I think he gives us this truth. He says, religious practice... Our religious practice should be informed by our relationship with the Savior. Listen to that once again. Our religious practice or practices should be informed by our relationship to the Savior. In other words, whatever we do, whatever our religious practice is, or our spiritual disciplines are, they should be informed and they should grow out of and they should grow into our relationship with Jesus. Pharisees, even the disciples of John the Baptist at this moment, they're still fasting. And they are proud of their religious practices. They are proud of their spiritual discipline. And fasting, there's nothing wrong with fasting, right? That's a very weak response from this Baptist congregation. Fasting? Did you say feasting? There is nothing inherently wrong with fasting. Actually, Jesus said there will come a day when there will be those individuals, his disciples, will fast. There's nothing wrong with fasting. The problem is they miss the very point of Jesus and his presence. They miss the point of God's revelation to them. They miss the relationship that they could have with Jesus because they're caught up with their religious practices. They're so blind. They're good. They're doing good things. But they are so 
blind to the person who is right before them. What they should understand is that they no longer have to mourn or fast or look for that coming Messiah. They should celebrate because that Savior is now right in their midst. For all that time, the nation of Israel and its leaders had longed, had looked for the Messiah, the King that would come. They had fasted. They had mourned. They were ready for God to intervene. And now what Jesus says is, God has intervened. God has done something. He has brought a new day. And instead of being caught up on religious practices, he says, I would hope that you recognize that this is a time to join with the bridegroom and celebrate what God has done. All of our religious practices, all of our spiritual disciplines should be informed by our relationship with the Savior, with Jesus. Everything we do. Why do we practice what we do? Why do we celebrate the disciplines that we do? Why do we do that? In order to move us in our relationship with Jesus, right? Now think about it just a moment. What's the goal of the disciple? Told you last week. Remember that? That was pre-storm. You should have remembered that. It was awesome. The goal of every disciple is to become like the master, the teacher. The goal of every student is to become like that individual that has been teaching him or her. So the goal of every disciple of Christ is that we would look more like Christ. And that's the question we ought to always ask ourselves. Do we look more like him today than we did yesterday? You've heard me say that. That's the goal. So what are spiritual practices supposed to be? What's what's fasting supposed to lead us to? Fasting should lead us into a greater and deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. What should praying do? Lead us to a greater emphasis greater relationship with Jesus Christ. What should worship services do? Bible study do? All of those religious practices, all of those spiritual disciplines, what should they do? They should lead us into our relationship with Jesus. If they do not, they fail in their goal. They, they can be good things. Worshiping on Sunday morning could be a wonderful thing. Bible study is a wonderful thing. Praying is a wonderful thing. Fasting is a wonderful thing. But each and every one of our religious practices and spiritual disciplines should have the goal of leading us to a relationship, a deeper relationship with Jesus. And the Pharisees are missing this. They're they're saying, oh, you, you, you you need to be about the religious practices. And Jesus says, my disciples, they are celebrating Because they have recognized the coming of the bridegroom. I'm here. I'm the Savior. I'm the Messiah. I'm right before you. And you're so caught up in your religious practices. I say to you, I say to you, that you and I must be very careful that we don't allow the practices to become the end and the goal. It's not good enough just simply to go home and say, we made it to church this morning. I know that's an effort sometimes. I know when you have uh, health issues. I know when you have young families. It is an issue sometimes to get to church. 
And maybe you're thankful you made that goal. But realize that is not the end in and of itself. What that should have done is point you toward Jesus. Well, I read the Bible through all last year. That is an accomplishment, isn't it? Isn't it? Did you sleep a little extra this week? It's a wonderful thing to read the Bible through all through that year. But did God's word get through you during that year? You see, the Pharisees, they were caught up on religious practice. And they were caught up on spiritual disciplines and good things they were caught up in. But they missed the very revelation of God, Jesus Christ, standing right before them. And I say to you, I call on you, just as I would call upon myself, to remember that all of those religious practices should be informed by our relationship with Jesus. It should, it should move us to a deeper relationship with the Savior. Jesus says a new day has come. And because of that, instead of mourning like they did in the Old Testament, and even up until this day, now they are celebrating. He said there will come a day when fasting will return. He notes in verse 35, the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away. If you look at that original word, it means taken away violently. I believe this is one of the first indications of Jesus saying to his disciples something about the crucifixion that will come. He says, that will be a day of mourning. When I am taken violently, those moments will lend themselves to mourning. But until then, they will enjoy the relationship they have with me and they will celebrate. And if you try to stop them, if you try to stop them, you'll find yourself just making a futile effort because they have to celebrate. You know, I also believe that we as God's people, we need to learn that it's okay to just celebrate from time to time that relationship that we have. I was reading John Ortberg's book some time ago, many years ago, on spiritual disciplines. The Life I've Always Wanted is the title of it. And I got to this chapter where it spoke about a de-da day. Well, that kind of heightened my interest for a moment. I began to read more. And in the beginning of that chapter, a de-da day, he speaks about how he is just giving his daughter a bath or so and how she just continues just to laugh and to enjoy and just to talk. And, and it was after a long day's work, and he was just tired, and it was kind of like, you got to be quiet. Look, I could feel myself resonating with this guy. I mean, sometimes children can be so happy, and yet you're not ready for that happiness, right? It's not that moment of your life. The other day, I came home. Sometimes on Friday, I will go uh, uh, grocery shopping. Let's live at school. And I kind of like to go out. And I can't believe I'm admitting this. But I like to go grocery shopping sometimes. And uh, I take Ainsley with me most of the time. That day, for some reason, Rhett was with me as well. We went around. We were doing a few things. And they just got to laughing. They were making each other laugh. And you could hear them. Probably you remember those kids now, don't you? You were there, some of you. 
And you could hear them. They were just laughing. And, and, and I, wanted, I wanted to say, shh, be quiet. Be quiet. We got people around. I mean, you can't. And, and I, I actually did say it to them in the beginning, but I almost couldn't stop them. They were just playing off of each other. And they weren't excessively loud, but they were just loud. And it was just laughter. They weren't saying a whole lot. They were just laughing. I got home that day. Leslie came in. She said, what did you do? I said, we went to the grocery store. Oh, good. What did you get? Well, we got this and this. And, and by the way, we laughed. She said, what? I said, we laughed. And my kids were laughing. And I started to stop them and I decided, you know what? The world needs a little more laughter. I'm okay with them laughing and enjoying. And you know what? We need to understand that there are moments it's nice to just laugh and enjoy the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. We need to celebrate what he has done instead of always focusing upon the Pharisaic way. We need to find ways in which we could celebrate the relationship we have with Jesus Christ. Just celebrate. Just enjoy. Well, then Jesus gave two more analogies. He had given them the analogy of the bridegroom and the wedding. And in that, he spoke about the truth of how religious practice should be informed by relationship with the Savior. But then he speaks about how religious practice should be informed by a recognition of the Savior's kingdom. Notice what he says in verse 36. Then he spoke a parable to them, and he says, No one puts a piece from a new garment on and an old one on an old one otherwise the new makes a tear and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old so he gives this analogy of garments and he says nobody takes a new garment and tears it and then tries to patch up the old garment he says that's not the way it was so i thought about that i kind of this is a nice suit you like this suit that's a good suit. Uh, Miss Gail Anders from Slaughter, Louisiana, bought me this suit. She told me I was one of the few preachers that still wore suits, and if, as long as I would wear one, she would buy me one. I said, that's a deal. We can make that happen. <laughs> Wonderful suit. Well, it's starting to get worn just a little bit. So this morning I went in, and I looked, and I thought, well, I could patch it up. It's on the inside. You really can't see it. So I thought I would get one of these old t-shirts. This kind of a nappy-looking T-shirt, isn't it? <laughs> Miss Gail didn't buy me T-shirts. Uh, it's kind of ratty and worn. I said I could just take it. It's an old thing. I could tear it. I think I can. I can't do this more. <laughs> I can't do this any better. Than I can baptize. Uh, <laughs> but then I got to thinking. <laughs> I got to thinking that. Um, I got to thinking, that's not what Jesus said, because that's an old garment, right? So then I went in to my wife's closet, and uh, she actually didn't know I had this with me this morning. Uh, I hid it under the other clothes, and I said, maybe I could take this. It would match a little better, right? So I could rip it. Now, and I could just, like, come down, and actually I decided I didn't want to divorce or lose my ministry. 
So, Jeremy, you want to come do this for me real quickly? But, I mean, it's a pretty dress. Isn't it a pretty dress? Kind of a new dress? My first pastorate. Leslie walked in one day. We had just gotten married, and one of our church members looked at her and said, uh, hey, that, that's a nice dress you have. It wasn't this one. It was another one. But, so that's a pretty dress. I'm, I'm proud you finally wore a pretty dress. If you're watching this on television or if you're here in this sanctuary, do not tell the pastor's wife that, please. Because, see, she's paid to uh, be nice to you, but she's not paid to be nice to me when she goes home, all right? I'm the one that hears about it. But let's say, theoretically, if I were to rip this, that would not make much sense, would it? To rip something that's new and to put it on the old. Now, I might put it inside and you would never know, but this doesn't really match me. That's kind of a disturbing image. Uh, so I'm going to go put this back. You wouldn't rip something off a new garment, try to put it on the old, because Jesus says it doesn't look right. Right? Jesus says it doesn't match. It doesn't make sense. So what you need to realize, he says, is that you're coming with all the old forms and all the old religious practices, and you're coming with all your old thoughts. And yet Jesus says a new day has come. And Jesus has not come to patch up Judaism. He has come to demonstrate the fulfillment of Judaism. He has come to offer something much better. And he has come to bring the kingdom of God. That's what he's come to do. To bring the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God was breaking forth in the person and in the life of Jesus Christ. New Testament theologians say that the kingdom is one of those things that is now, not yet, the way they describe it. That it is broken into this life. It is broken into our time. And yet it has not fully been realized because one day Jesus will come and establish the kingdom fully. But what Jesus says is that here the kingdom is breaking forth. He has come to bring something new. He has come to bring life and refreshment. He has come to... To breathe life into individuals, into souls. That's what he's come to do. And he says, I have not come just to patch up your idea of what Judaism is. Our religious practice, our spiritual discipline should be informed by our recognition of the Savior's kingdom. The Savior's kingdom has broken forth through Jesus. You can speak about his kingdom today. In what way? In the reign, his reign over our hearts and lives. Can't we today say, those of us who have entered by faith through Christ, those of us today say we are part of the kingdom of God. We have a king. He rules over our hearts and our lives. He has made a difference. Now one day that kingdom will be fully realized as Jesus Christ returns. But we know that we are part of his kingdom. He didn't come to patch up things. He came to give a new wardrobe, a new life to individuals. Then he gives a second analogy as he gives that truth. And he says, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the new wineskin, or the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. 
And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. He gives this analogy of the wineskins. He says, you don't take an old wineskin and put new wine in it. Now, why is that? Because what they would do is they would take animal skins, they would take the hair off, they would dehair them, I guess you would say, and they would take the animal skins and they would fill it full of wine. It would become a wine skin. And after that wine skin would grow old, you could imagine that it didn't have any flexibility anymore. It, it became, became uh, brittle and it was not worth a whole lot. And yet, if you were to take that old wine skin that has now lost its flexibility, that's kind of brittle, and you were to put new wine in it, and then the fer- fermentation process begins, it would burst that old wine skin. And you would lose the new wine, and you would lose the wine skin. Jesus says that doesn't make sense. Nobody does that. And what you're trying to do as the Pharisees, what you're trying to do is to take God in this new kingdom and what he's doing, and you're trying to place it, and you're trying to fit it back into those old wineskins that you're so familiar with. And what's going to happen is it's going to break forth. To borrow upon John Piper's phraseology, the strong wine of Jesus would burst forth that old wineskin of Judaism. Certainly would, wouldn't it? Again, because Jesus had come to offer something new. It was a new day. The kingdom had come. And the old religious structures could not contain it. It's hard to contain life, isn't it? Life itself, to contain it, to bottle it up. And Jesus says you can't do that in that old religious structure, in that old religious form. He says you can't contain the life and the energy and the work of God and His kingdom. Instead, what you do and those practices that you have now, they should reflect the life and the newness of Christ. Everything that we do. You know, I I don't like things that are new, not very often. Now, every now and then, I like a new new car smell. Now, that's nice, isn't it? If you ever buy a new car, come by and see me. I will ride with you at least once, I promise you, because I just like to smell that. But overall, I don't like things that are new. I'm kind of like rather traditional. But it's interesting My traditional might not meet your traditional because it's all about the tradition that we ourselves established at some point in life, right? Fifty years from now, there will be a new traditional. And I promise you, I won't like it. But when God breaks forth in his life, in his revelation, in his energy, there's no way that our traditional forms can always contain it And blessed be God that he can break forth in such a way. I am so thankful that today in this place we are not having to follow simply the traditions of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I am proud that their tradition did not 
prevail. But I am proud that Jesus Christ in his life informed, informed the life of the nation and brought life to people. Verse 39, basically Jesus reflects what I just said about my not wanting to try new things. He says, no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new. Jesus said, I understand that you've been living a certain way for a certain time. And I know that those forms are so dear to you. And you're not, you're not going to just desire something new. You go out with me, Leslie knows, I order the same thing almost every time when I go to that restaurant. I like it. She said, why don't you try something new? Why? I'm spending the money. I know I like this. I'm just going to eat this. My wife has opened so many new horizons to me. When I was growing up, all I ate was peas and cornbread and that kind of stuff. I never knew what this Chinese stuff was or Mexican stuff was. Or, I mean, she has opened a whole new life. I've enjoyed it, you can tell. But he says... You don't want these new things. I know that. It's going to be tough for you because you've been used to things being like they have been for so long. That's what Jesus says. Because you're going to go around saying the old is better. Our old type of Judaism, our old type of fasting, our old type of mourning, that's better. Jesus says, but not really. Because a new day has come. The kingdom has broken forth. And he has come to receive sinners. That's what we had seen earlier in this chapter. He had come to receive sinners and to bring life and to bring forgiveness. What a wonderful day that had come. Religious practices, spiritual disciplines should be informed by our relationship with the Savior. Religious practices, spiritual disciplines should be informed by our recognition of the Savior's kingdom. Today, as we come, I can boldly proclaim to you that Jesus Christ, the Savior of this world, that he came, lived a perfect life, demonstrated power in teaching and over death itself. He died on the cross, but yet he rose the third day. Why? To bring a kingdom, to bring a life, to forgive you of your sins and to provide me with an eternal life. Isn't that a new day? Isn't that a wonderful day that we should celebrate in who Jesus is and what he has accomplished through our lives? May this day we remember the new day and may it affect everything that we do and everyone we come into contact with as we celebrate our Savior and His kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, we bless you this day. We praise you. We celebrate you. And Lord, we are thankful that you brought a new day. We are thankful that in this place today, we do not have to conform to the old religious practices of the Pharisees or the Sadducees. We're thankful that today, Lord, we don't have to come to an altar and bring a sacrifice. We're thankful that through your life and through your work, you accomplished the sufficient sacrifice for us. 
And Lord, that you've offered us forgiveness and salvation. And Father, I pray in this place today that every one of us, those of us who are believers, Father, that we would allow whatever we do, whatever practice, whether it be fasting or study or prayer, Lord, that we would allow those things to lead us to your Son. Not simply that those things become an end in, in and of themselves. God, I pray for my, in my friends who are here this morning who are lost, who've never come to salvation. And Father, this morning, I pray that you would t- let them know, Lord, that they've not come, you've not come to simply patch up their old life, but you've come to give them a new life. And God, this morning, I pray that they would come and submit their life and surrender themselves to you. And Lord, they'd start their journey and their relationship. Lord, we pray now that you would show your power and your might in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?